0: Hello and welcome back to Techtonic, a podcast that looks at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. Last week we heard from historian Yuval Noah Harari who cast his mind into the future to imagine a world where humans have lost control of their creations. Our guest this week describes his work, heading the research teams at Google's Mountain View headquarters, as attempting to be responsibly irresponsible
1: you can't be afraid of change since almost everything about innovation is the process of being wrong and learning from being wrong and continuing down that path. The voice of entrepreneur and scientist Astro Teller, who heads
0: Alphabet's Innovation Lab, simply named X. He sat down with our West Coast editor, Richard Waters in San Francisco, to discuss some of the new technologies he is helping to bring to market.
2: Astro, you have the rather wonderful title of, I think it's Captain of Moonshots, is that
1: right? It is. Thanks for having me.
2: So what does that mean? What is a Captain of
1: Moonshots? I think it probably says a decent amount to tell you how I got that title. I was talking to Sergey Brin, one of the founders of Google, of Alphabet, and asked him what he thought about the title that I should have. And I think I said something kind of uninspired like general manager of Google X or something like that, and he said, look, I don't care what title you pick, just don't sound like a banker. (laughs) And, you know, he meant that sort of tongue-in-cheek, but he was also kind of serious, and it fits with what we're trying to do. One of the ways that we describe the balance that we're trying to have at X is to be responsibly irresponsible. We're trying to make a moonshot factory. That's how we describe what we're doing, which is to say trying to find ways to systematize innovation. And so picking a title that is fun and reminds people that what we're doing is serious, but the way we do it doesn't have to be humorless, is part of that balance of the responsibility and the irresponsibility that we're trying to get right so that we can systematize the seemingly unsystematizable. So
2: you've you've been doing all all of the most googly things we think of when we think of Google, right? So you've been doing the driverless cars, uh, the balloons that are going to deliver the internet, um, Google Glass that didn't work out, but that was one of yours. So a whole whole range of things. I mean, uh, you know, these are the these are the really big long range bets that that Google made. Big companies don't normally make big bets like that. So why did Google so early in its life decide to just go out on a limb with these things?
1: I think the founders understood many years ago, certainly by the time they started Google X, probably well before that, that in order to continue then Google, now Alphabet's growth, we needed to have new problems to take on, to have that one of the reasons that companies tend to asymptote over time is because they spend all of their time working on and dedicated to their current set of problems, what their quote-unquote business is. And that tends not to be able to continue forever, and there are different ways to address that problem. Larry and Sergey were interested in continuing to expand how they could help make the world a better place. And so creating something that was separate from Google, that was dedicated to finding new problems to have, and then going after de-risking them, seeing which ones might take root in good ways, and then amplifying those, that was what X was set up for.
2: I mean, doing these things inside big companies is ferociously difficult. Many companies have tried to innovate away from their core business and they've just failed doing it. Now, you're here in Silicon Valley and Silicon Valley already has a model for innovating. and It's got the venture capital business. It's got a way of bringing talent and ideas together around big new ideas. And so we get all these incredible companies, you know, springing up all the time. So Why have Larry and Sergey decided to do this inside Google? Because they could just go and invest in, build things, you know, the Silicon Valley way. I mean, this is an unusual thing to do, isn't it?
1: Sure. I mean, the Silicon Valley model, the venture capital model, has a lot going for it. And many large companies rely on small companies doing a lot of their innovation. And they purchase the ones that work. And that's a very legitimate sort of form of growth for lots of companies, but then you end up taking from the choices that are out there kind of by definition. And I think one of the interests at Google was to be able, A, to shape those directions, um, to choose ahead of time where we would go instead of waiting to see if somebody else would invent it, and B, there's a set of opportunities that are very hard for the venture model to go at. So things that are going to take more than a certain amount of time, that have more than a certain amount of risk, that are in certain industries, are just particularly hard for the venture model to support. And so one of the underexplored areas, which we would describe as moonshots, are these things that are not research. They are still aimed at making a large, impactful business, but that have time horizons risk levels. I think now people can start a self-driving car startup, but it would be pretty hard to have imagined seven years ago when we started working on self-driving cars, somebody successfully pitching that to a VC.
2: So that was the first project that got X going, and X has been around for that long. I want you to score yourself now. What has Alphabet got out of backing X? Because there aren't any self-driving cars in my neighborhood yet.
1: I guess you don't live in Palo Alto or Mountain View. At the highest level, I would say that the three biggest graduations that have come from X...
2: Graduation being things that have gone off to be freestanding...
1: Businesses or exactly. Units of alphabet. Uh, right. One would be Google Brain. That's the industrial scale uh, deep learning neural networks that now are important to lots of different parts of Google. That's
2: such a great name, Google Brain.
1: Thanks. The second thing is a set of life science businesses or projects that were brewed at X, gathered up together and graduated set up as an independent alphabet entity called Verily that is doing some interesting things and your listeners can go find out about. And the third one, the self-driving car project, which is in the middle of graduating right now. We've done a range of other things that hopefully have been very helpful to Google. For example, the computational photography behind the Pixel phone that just came out from Google uh, was work that was originally done at X. And there's a lot of other things like that that we've done that Google and other parts of Alphabet have gotten benefit from. So many of these things are not done. And so I suppose the final history is not written on the value of these things. But give us a B+. Plus.
2: So the cars aren't generating revenue yet? Yeah? but you're saying that what you've achieved already is worth what Google's put into it.
1: Our goal, our job at X is to brew and graduate new businesses for Alphabet to be in. And by that standard, we have a good start on things. Again, I don't think that the final history has been written, but there's a lot of promise there.
2: There's a view around that actually self-driving cars are still many years away. And Google has obviously taken the strong line that only fully self-driving cars are safe. That The half self-driving cars, if might call them that, the ones that hand control back to you as a person when they can't deal with the situation are just too dangerous. And so you're all in on self-driving and that still seems to be a very long way away. Where do you stand on that now? When is it coming?
1: We don't have a specific date that we can give you, But I don't think that I would sign up for a long way away. One way to think about this is if you go and watch our cars in four cities in the United States, like in Mountain View or Palo Alto or Austin, Phoenix, and you were to sit in one of the cars and just watch it for a few hours, the drivers do nothing. I mean, occasionally for safety reasons or just to notate that something odd or not ideal happened. They will write something down, they will take control of the car, but it is incredibly occasional at this point. So if you sit in the back and you watch these cars drive for two, three, four hours, and they're just driving all over town, in principle, there's a person behind the wheel, but in fact, the car is driving itself 100% of the time, and it just picks a new address at random around the city, and it drives there, so we are choosing to learn in this safety net-oriented way because we think it's the responsible thing to do. But if you were to have asked the question slightly differently, when will it be the case that a car could pick a random new address in the city and drive there most of the time without having any problems? That's already true today.
2: So it's coming soon is the answer, but you're not going to give us a time right now. Not right now. So you've been around this year talking quite a lot about, you know, the importance of failure at X and how you like to close things down when they don't work, and so on. Being a journalist, I you know I don't want to be too negative here, but let's focus a little bit on the failures. What happened with glass? So glass was a very high-profile thing. Why did you pursue glass in that very public way for so long? Attracted a lot of criticism before closing it down.
1: Well, first of all, we didn't close glass down. It graduated to what the time was Tony Fidel. It became kind of a, a sibling to Nest, and then... Uh, later went back into Mother Google, but many of those people and that those technologies are still there. But to your question, I think Glass did one thing really well and one thing that we would not repeat. And what's interesting is those two things were quite related to each other. One of the things that Glass did fantastically well is what we called the Explorer Programme to make a learning tool for figuring out what this. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, Kind of technology could mean in people's lives and invite the public to work with us on what it means to them, how they experience it, what could be done with it. I'm really proud of that. And I I think, you know, we would do that again. That was a good part of the program. It's
2: good to get it out there and let people experiment with it and work out what it might be useful.
1: Especially in something that's so personal and so tied into how we are as people. Like if you want to make a calculator. Work. You don't need to focus group it a lot to make sure that it like gets the right numbers. If you want people to wear a computer on their face, the difference between that being done right and it being done wrong is not something you can just discuss and draw pictures of on a whiteboard. You have to actually go out and like interact with the world. And there were a lot of questions raised at the time, as you might remember, about cameras and you know how to help people not feel threatened by those cameras being in public. So I think the Explorer program was fantastic, but it was a learning tool. It was not a finished product. And I think the public wanted it to be a finished product. And we allowed ourselves to get sucked into the excitement about it as a finished product. And ultimately we did in some ways play along or even amplify some of the thinking of it as a product while simultaneously talking internally as though that's not what it was. And we then set expectations that were not going to be met because it was not a finished product. And so that was not the right thing to have done, and we would not do it that way
2: again. So you're just clearer now internally about where you've got with particular projects and not, not over-promise or push things out too early. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When you think about other things that from the outside look as though they've been Maybe failure is the wrong word, but have been going through some churn, maybe is the word. We've seen change in some projects. We've seen change in some leadership in one or two projects. So the former technology head of the car project has left and the head of the wing project. So a little bit of change there. The robotics acquisitions that Google made and weren't part of X have been brought inside X and you're kind of sorting through those and making sense of them. And so we seem to be at a stage with X where you're kind of sorting through all the things that have been on your plate for a few years, making sense of them. Am I right? Are we, are we at some, some different kind of turning point?
1: Well, I'm not sure we're at a turning point or to put it slightly differently, we're constantly at a turning point. But to help you understand us better, I'm going to observe that you just use the word change many times as a bad thing in the last eight, 10 sentences. probably because I'm a journalist. This is exactly how it feels to be at X, is to listen to me drone on in the way I'm about to do. Real failure is not running an experiment and getting the negative signal at the end of the experiment. If you're serious about learning, you set up your test in a way where you don't know the answer to the question you're asking and you're indifferent to the answer. You have to do that or you're not really learning. You're biasing either the test or how you read the data. And you can't be afraid of change since almost everything about innovation is the process of being wrong and learning from being wrong and continuing down that path. Real failure is running an experiment, getting an answer you don't like, and then ignoring it and continuing to do what you're doing because you're afraid of change. So the main thing we're gonna do at X is not be afraid of change. And that doesn't mean we're gonna change things for the purpose of changing them, but we definitely aren't going to keep things the way they are for one second longer when the right thing to do is to make a change, which it frequently is because that's learning.
2: All right, well, let me ask that question differently then. So it feels as though you are in a period of consolidation, if I can use that word, where a number of the projects that you've taken on over the years are at a stage where you're kind of sorting through them, digesting them, working out what the next steps are, because you put a lot of work in already on a lot of these fronts. What we're not seeing or hearing about is, Lots of big new ideas kind of coming out. There was a period a few years ago and it seemed every few weeks we heard about some big new zany idea that was coming out of Google. Feels now like you're at a different stage. Is that right? Is your plate full and are there no more big ideas?
1: I know why it would feel like that. You are correct in saying that we haven't announced big new zany ideas for a while. And I would say that there are two explanations for that. One of them is that we ended up with a bit of a burst of those kinds of things being both announced and getting more serious. And ultimately, we can't actually productively start and nurture and grow new things until we have those old things either dead and gone or successful to the point that they've been graduated out of X. We need to make room for the new stuff to come through. And so we have, to some extent, been focused for the last two years on doing some of that with the graduation of the science's stuff and the graduation of the self-driving car group. That's been going well, and I think that does open up new space. The other thing, as you observed, we have been doing some consolidation a number of things from other parts of alphabet have moved into x and so we've been taking the time to ingest and reorganize those things and that means that we have probably a bulge in the middle of our pipeline now where we have a bunch of interesting things that are kind of mid-stage that uh, we haven't yet told people about and we look forward when the time is right to being able to share a bunch of those things with you.
2: Imagine I'm Ruth Porat I'm the chief financial officer at Alphabet and you know I've just been brought in or at least Wall Street thinks I've been brought in to impose a bit of cost discipline and make sure that Google's cash is being used well so tell me what have you done for Google how do you convince Ruth that it's money well spent
1: well I would say to Ruth I, I do say to Ruth here's all of the things that we've built and graduated like Google brain like the life sciences business, like the self driving cars, the computational photography thing, Tango, lots of other ones. So, here's that set of things. In addition, here is our current portfolio, which is still inside of X. We could choose, if we want to, to try to put some incremental value on the moonshot factory itself, but that's probably not even really worth it. So, that's all the, the sort of positives. And here's how much money we've spent. So, That's our kind of six and a half year track record. And as Wall Street is fond of pointing out, past performance is no guarantee of future performance, but that's probably the best evidence we have of what the next six and a half years is likely to be like. Let's say, Ruth, that I did this again over the next six and a half years. How would you feel? And I think, you know, we have lots of stuff that we can do better on, but I think she's feeling positive and Larry and Sergey are feeling positive that... Our track record in the past justifies doing more of
2: it. So it's a fairly subjective thing. You're not putting hard numbers on the return that you're making on the investment at this stage, because these are very long-term projects, right?
1: Oh, well, we do some work to put numbers on these things, but reasonable people could disagree by at least a factor two or three on some of these numbers, because you know, while the self-driving car group is surely worth a lot to Alphabet, You know, reasonable people could have very different numbers for what it's worth. And it's probably not productive for us to try to get down to the penny on that number right now. Because at this stage, we've either done a good job or we haven't. And, you know, trying to get the sort of third or fourth decimal place right on that is probably not productive. And what
2: what about the factory itself? Uh, What have you learned over these six or seven years about actually building a factory for invention? Has it changed? Has it worked?
1: I think it is working we continue to find ways that we could do a better job so we continue to speed up recognizing that we should end a project we are ending them on balance somewhat earlier than we used to and that's good because if we can be even one month sooner ending a project across a lot of projects over many years That can be the difference between getting a strong positive return and a weak positive return or something like that. We've learned how to reach out to the rest of the world better. For example, we certainly don't mean for all of the ideas to be ours. We're interested in the best ideas in the world, not necessarily our ideas. But just because we're interested in other people's ideas doesn't mean that those ideas will come find us if we don't reach out in the right ways. So there are lots of muscles like that that we continue to build.
2: Well, I suspect that we will all judge you in the long term on driverless cars. And if it really takes off, if we have a fleet of those things picking us up and dropping us off quite soon, that in itself will uh, justify it, I'm sure. If it doesn't happen, I think there will be a lot of questions about what Google's been doing all these years. But I guess that's one for you to answer when the time comes. Astro Teller, thank you very much indeed for being with us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: We'll be back with another episode of Tectonic next week when San Francisco reporter Tim Bradshaw talks to the entrepreneur Kyle Weens of iFixit about the risks and rewards of the race to the thinnest smartphone and how his company is trying to democratise gadget repair. If you would like to comment on this week's show or suggest a topic for us to cover on future episodes, please email us at tectonic This episode of Tectonic was produced by Amy Keene.